0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Wisdom and Stuff podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Boucher, and this is where we cut through the Christianese and tradition-based thoughts that hinder us from the limitless lifestyles that we, as actual children of God, are designed to walk in. So let's go ahead and dive into the Word and see what the Holy Spirit has for us today. For 21. Hallelujah. Father, we worship you. Glory to your name. Glory to your name. We thank you, Lord God, just for what you're doing, Lord God, in this time, right now, Father God. What you're doing right now, this very moment, this very place, Lord God, we are here on purpose, Lord God. We were not born because of the will of man, nor because of the will of the flesh, because of the will of God. And I thank you, Lord God, right now is on purpose, Father God. This moment, this second, Lord God. Father, I thank you that we're here Father God, and there's no greater place, there's no greater hour. Father God, this is it. Lord God, we choose to enter into it. We choose to enter into it right now. And we thank you, Lord God. Yeah. Father God, we choose the eternal thing. We choose the high thing, Lord God. We choose the higher ways, Father God, higher thoughts and higher ways of God. Father, we choose that right now. We abandon the lower ways. We abandon, Father God, the lower thoughts, Father God. We abandon all the things, Lord God, that are contrary to the highest way, Father God. And we thank you, Lord God, that we, mm, Father God, we run in. Father God, we run into your presence. We run in, Father God, to, Father God, everything that you have for this moment. Father God, you're not holding anything back, Father God. You're not holding anything back, Father God. Every moment is a moment of fullness in your eyes. Lord God, you said that the the times of fullness had come, Father God. The fullness of times, the times of fullness have come. Praise God. And Father God, we are at the end of the age, Lord God. We are those who usher in the next age. And I just thank you that this is a time of fullness. Praise God. And we just receive that, Lord God. We enter into it. We cooperate with fullness, Lord God. We align ourselves with the fullness of God. We align ourselves with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We align ourselves with the author of all creation, which spoke and it was, Father God. And we just thank you. You've written this thing out, Father God, from beginning to end. You know the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end, Lord God. You've already written this whole thing out, Father God. And I thank you that we are right where we're supposed to be. Praise God. And we simply choose to yield and humble ourselves to that place right now, this very moment, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Glory to God. <laughs> oh, praise God. just go home, ha- go home happy right now. Glory to God. 1 Kings 21. Mm. As I was looking over, uh, you know, we've been going over uh, Old Testament accounts of different things and drawing out New Testament truths through the Old Testament for the last several months. and It's been just so rich, so good. Uh, just enjoyed it so much. And, uh, and just learning how to, how to look and, and uh, filter the Old Testament through the New Testament and drawing out these things. God said that these things were written for our examples, for our admonition. Uh, it says, unto whom the end of the ages have come. That's us. Praise God. And so this, that tells me that everything in the Old Testament has to do with the end of the age. If, if he said that it's for our admonition, for whom the end of the ages have come, that means everything has to do with the, the end of the age. It also has to do with everything else past that. Because his word is eternal it's it's not segregated by time, but at the same time we have to understand that we, at this moment this hour, this word is for us, and uh it's it's not only relevant but it is it's it's uh it catapults us into what God has for us for this moment and in first kings chapter twenty one we see the account of of uh ahab and and Naboth. And it says here, I'm just going to read this verse, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass after these things that Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, next to the palace of Ahab king of Samaria. Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near next to my house. And for it I will give you a vineyard better than it. Or, if it seems good to you, I will give you its worth in money. Verse 3, but Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbid that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to you. So Ahab went into his house, sullen and displeased, because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. So what is he doing right now? He is a big baby. He is pouting. That's what he's doing, right? And so he's got the pouty face on. And here it says, verse 5, But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so sullen that, that you eat no food? Verse 6, He said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and, and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. Then Jezebel, his wife, said to him, You now exercise authority over Israel. Arise, eat food, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. And she wrote letters in Ahab's name, sealed them with his seal, sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city with Naboth. She wrote in the letters, saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth with high honor among the people and seat two men scoundrels before him to bear witness against him, saying, You have blasphemed God and the king? Then take him out and stone him that he may die. This is not a good plan. You understand. This is not a good woman and it's not a good plan. Verse 11. So the men of his city, the elders and nobles that were, uh, who were inhabitants of his city, did as Jezebel had said to them. And as it was written in the letters which she had sent to them, they proclaimed a fast, see you know, Naboth with a high honor among the people. And two men, scoundrels, came in, sat before him. Scoundrels witnessed against him, against Naboth, in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has blasphemed God and the king. Then they took him outside the city and stoned him with stones so that he died. Verse 14. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned and is dead. Verse 15, And it came to pass, when Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, that Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of, of Naboth the Jezreelite, for he refused, to give you, uh, that he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. And so it was, when Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, that Ahab got up and went down to take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So this is a, just an interesting account here. And I'm, as I'm reading this, just meditating on this, it's interesting what happens here. Um, you, you, see, you see Ahab, he, in the very first of this whole account, he has good intentions. In other words, he wants this vineyard that's near to his home, right? And so he goes to the guy and he says, I'm going to give you, uh, you know, the money for it, I will buy it from you, fair and square, or I'll give you a better vineyard. And so he had good intentions, His his intentions at the beginning were not to cheat the guy, right? That was not his intentions. His intentions was he wanted a vineyard close to his house. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, Seems convenient. Seems like it's logical. Uh, And at that, he was actually willing to pay the guy. He was willing to give him a better vineyard. He was willing to do the right thing to get it. But then something happened. He was refused what he wanted. And he got an attitude. And in his attitude... (laughs) his wife came in and said, don't worry about it, you're the king, and I'm going to make this happen for you. Now, you understand that even though it was Jezebel who did all of this, you understand Ahab still had a say in stuff. It's interesting, it says that, how and I won't even get into this part of it, but how that Jezebel, you know, signed his name to the stuff, right? Signed his name to it. So she was deceiving the whole time. But notice who it was that, They they went to when Naboth was dead, they went to Jezebel, they didn't go to Ahab. What does that tell you? They knew it it was Jezebel. There was a whole lot of people that were deceiving and conniving, right? Not just Jezebel. This was a plan. This was, and there were scoundrels too, right? What do scoundrels apparently do? They lie, right? (laughs) So these are liars and cheaters. That's who they are, and. uh, and apparently they're known to be scoundrels because they knew where to find them, right? <laughs> she goes, go get two scoundrels. Okay, I know where to go with those guys. And, uh, but so, anyway, the, the, the issue is this. Is as, I was, as I was just just looking over these things and meditating this and I was just praying it out, the Lord just began to really deal with me about something. And he was saying, here, Ahab began with good intentions, and he began with something that seemed right and it seemed good. And, of course, the word says that there's a way that seems right to a man, right? But it ends in death. Starts off good starts off looks good starts off good intentions but it didn't end up that way and i'm thinking about all this and as i'm praying i'm just thinking you know how many times in life does this happen to people where they have good intentions but their intentions don't come out the way that they intended to do you know it it doesn't come out that way nobody intends to uh, file bankruptcy right nobody has ever intended that they just have to end up doing it right Nobody's ever intended uh, to to be homeless on the road. It just happens, right? No one's ever intended uh, to, um, you know, be, you know, divorced or to have, you know, broken homes or to to be involved with drugs. No one's waking up one day and said, you know what, I think in 10 years I'm going to be a meth head. I don't think anyone ever intends that. They don't intend it, right, but it happens, doesn't it? And this is interesting to me, How it's like intentions start one place, but then people's lives end up a totally different place. And we see this happen in Ahab's life here. His intentions were good, but intentions really don't mean a whole lot. And this is one thing the Lord just, just spoke to me about in this, is he said, humility will bring you where your intentions want to go. But willpower will never do it. Your willpower, your plans, will never bring you where your intentions want to go. Humility will. It's good to have good intentions. But without humility, you have nothing. You don't have a vehicle to get you there. Does that make sense? You have no vehicle to get you toward your intentions without humility. And here the thing is, as I was was praying into this, the Lord just showed me. He said, here... King Ahab, he had a desire, he had something that he wanted, but what happened was that desire, through different things, it shifted into what we call lust. It started off as a genuine, justified desire. It's okay to want something right next to you, nothing, no big deal about that, and he was willing to pay the price for it, he was willing to do everything he could, but it turned, it turned into a lust. And when things turn into a lust, that's when they get dangerous. Because you understand, we, we, in, our, in our vernacular, lust usually means sexual sin, but that's not the definition of lust. The definition of lust is when you covet after something or you look at something so much and so long that now suddenly you need it. And you, you actually, your, your, your mind and your flesh is telling you that you need it so badly that you'll do whatever it takes to get that. That's a lust. And you actually think, it's just children. Children do this a lot, don't they? Where, where basically whatever they want, they need. You know, it's not like, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, if, if you, and so what happens is, of course, if, if, if some child says, you know what, I really want a new whatever, you know, uh, I don't know what they even have these days. iPads now, I don't know, all kinds of technical stuff. Um, you know, they want a new iPad or whatever, the newest iPhone or something like that, and the parent says, no, we're not doing that right now. What's the response of the child? But all my friends have it, and if I don't have it, I'm going to die. You know, and it's this big emotional thing. And genuinely, they feel that emotion, don't they? They genuinely feel, I don't know if you guys remember being kids, but you genuinely felt like your life was going to end somehow if you didn't get this thing. Now, that's not true, right? It's just how you genuinely felt. And so suddenly, a want became a need. And the moment the want becomes the need, it becomes lust. And now here's the thing, though. The problem is this, is that that's what we call being childish, right? And like we say a lot, you know, God wants us childlike, not childish, right? And so if you're childish and you carry that same uh, uh, trait into an adult behavior, here's the danger there, is that if you turn a want into a need, an adult has more uh, avenues and resources to make it happen. That's the danger. Kids don't have a lot of freedom and resources to make things happen, so their, their parents say no, it's no, they cry for a while, and that's about it. But as you get older, you got a little bit more freedom, a little bit more avenues and resources, you'll make it happen. And that's where it gets dangerous. Because now suddenly you've allowed lust to become a part of your life. And as I was talking, as I was just talking to the Lord about this, and he was, I was meditating on this, as I was praying it out, I tell you, I felt something very very uh i guess the, the 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 best word i could use is severe it was a severe feeling that kind of came on me and and i mean i can even feel it now as i'm talking about it because it just i, I realized that in talking about this and he began to talk to me about conquering lust and he, he began to talk to me about this and saying that there is this is a virus in the body of christ and that what, what needs to be spoken tonight, obviously we're here and we're going to receive from the Lord. But at the same time, when you understand the, the, how prophetic things work, uh, the, the prophetic means that when it gets spoken, it changes the atmosphere. It doesn't just affect the people who are listening. It changes the atmosphere. And the Word says we can impart grace to the hearer, praise God. And so to actually allow grace to come into the atmosphere of the body of Christ, to allow people to be, be free from lust, whether they're here or not here. It's something that happens in the atmosphere. Not just in a room. Praise God. And so there's something deeper that's going on tonight. And, and I, I believe this is true in every service we're in, or at least it should be. Um, but I, I just want us right now, just I want you to just focus on something. Don't just focus on, I want you to receive, obviously. I want you to get everything the Holy Spirit has for you. But I want us to focus our faith a little bit bigger than that. And I want us to join our faith into something right now to break the power of lust in the body of Christ. Because it brings death every time. And, uh, and this is a, it's a virus, though. And it's like as I was just walking this out, I was you know, just, just praying about it. And I could just feel the severity. And it was just this, this heaviness, but it was more than that. It was something that was almost like a critical condition, severity. And the Lord was saying, this has to be spoken. We have to break this. Because if we, if we can't break this, then we can't go on. In, in other words, like, like we're talking about, there, this is, this is the, the end of the age here, you know, and, and we need to go on. We need to do something here. The, king, the, the, the body of Christ has got to go on. And when Jesus is coming back for a glorious church, right? Without spot or wrinkle. Not full of lust. Not full of weakness. We need to be strong. And we can't do that with, with a, a, a virus of lust. And, and like I said, a lot of times people, when they, when, they, when they hear the word lust, we're usually programmed to automatically think of sexual sin. And that's not what I'm talking about here. That obviously is included in it, but I'm talking about this, this uh, need-based lifestyle that suddenly, you know, everything that we want, we, we just have to have. You know, we want it, we need it. And, and we will do whatever it takes to make it happen in our life, and we, we end up uh, separating ourselves from the things that God actually does have for us, which is exceedingly abundantly all we can ask or imagine. Um, but anyway, that's as just what I want to get into tonight. And, and I just, let's just pray real quick. I want to pray into this. And I just want you to join your faith with me. Father, I thank you, Lord God. I just thank you, Father, that, Father, we just we just pray, Lord God, that, that whatever you want spoken gets spoken, Lord God. Whatever needs to be spoken into the body, Lord God, whatever needs to be spoken into the atmosphere of, the, of your kingdom, Lord God, gets spoken. Father God, Father God, we thank you that we have ears to hear, Lord God, and that it's not just me that's speaking, and it's not just me that's, that's orating things, but, Father God, as people have things come up in their heart, Lord God, let them just speak them out tonight, Lord God. Let them just speak them out as they go home, Father God. I thank you that that this isn't just about teaching and hearing and writing notes, Lord God. This is about actually changing the environment, Father God, so that your body can do what it's supposed to do in the earth, so we can go forth with power and strength, Lord God. And we thank you that you said that we could impart grace to the hearer, Father God, and we know it's by grace that everything is done. And so, Lord God, we just allow grace, Father God, great grace, Father God. Where sin has abounded, grace does much more abound, praise God. And I just thank you, Lord God, we come against, Father God, that spirit of lust, Father God. We come against that. We thank you for freedom. We thank you for strength, Lord God. We thank you for breakthrough right now in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord God, by the Holy Ghost. It's not by might nor by power. It's by your spirit, Father God. I thank you, Lord God, that we don't come with enticing words of men's wisdom, but in demonstration power of the Holy Ghost. And we thank you, Lord God, that he destroys the yoke. He removes the burden, Father God. And we just thank you right now, Lord God, that from this moment forward we're free, Lord God. And we thank you that freedom be spoken tonight, Lord. And that, Father God, we not only receive, but we become a change. Of that freedom, Lord God, into your kingdom and into your body. And we just thank you for it right now in Jesus' name. We receive the fullness of it right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Glory to God. Mm, there's some things that need to be done. Praise God. I look at King Ahab here, and he is a king, but he ended up being shipwrecked because of this. And if, this wasn't the only thing he did, but we see this happening in his life. And now, uh, once again, the first thing, that, that when we begin to identify lust, one of the first things we need to understand is that nobody is immune. There's nobody immune. And, and we need to, I don't care, I mean, how many times have we seen preachers fall? How many times? Come on. I mean, it's, it's, it's grievous. It breaks your heart. And these are, these are men and women of God who've done amazing things. But they didn't intend to fall. They didn't wake up one day and say, I'm going to backslide. It's a process. And lust is a process. And and so, you know, that's the first thing that, that we have to realize is that, like I said, humility, humility is the vehicle that actually produces the intentions God has for us. But that's one of the first things that I have to get a hold of is that nobody is immune to the attack of the enemy. He has a strategy right now. you understand this? That the enemy has a strategy. It says that we're no longer ignorant of his devices. That means he has devices. That right now the enemy has a strategy for your life. Right now, this very day. And he's working his strategy. He's not taking the 4th of July off. You understand that? No, right. yeah. He's doing it 24 hours a day. He's working his strategy over your personal life. Now praise God. God has plans for us, doesn't he? Yes, he does. And they're of good and not of evil. Glory to God. Yeah. To bring us to an expected end. Hallelujah. You understand, I am not, I do not get big eyes over the devil. I was talking to somebody in Missouri, and we were talking about some stuff, and, uh, and uh, uh, you know, we were talking about a certain person that, that had been involved with a lot of stuff and different things going on, and, and, uh, and I said, you know, it's just, you know, we just got grace and repentance and everything, and all. I'm just talking about that. He's going, oh, well, you know, you know oh, man, they were involved with this and this and blah, 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 you know, and I said, hey, I'm not belittling anything that they did. I'm not belittling any of that, but I'm also not belittling the blood of Jesus. I do not get big eyes over the devil. He doesn't deserve it. You understand? No, oh, man, we're grace you understand we're sin abounds. Grace is much more abound, amen? All the time, every time. He is exceedingly great. God is infinite. And I, I, one time I heard it put, you know, if, if you were to say that, that that God is a million times bigger than the devil, then that would be an understatement. Because that would imply that if the devil was a million times bigger, he'd be as big as God. And that's not true. Because God's infinite. And so, like I said, I don't, I don't get big eyes over the devil, but I also am aware of his devices. And so I need to understand that this, that, that one of his devices, one of his main devices in anybody's life is lust. It's that, it's, that, it's that need-based thing, that covetousness. And as we get into this, I just want us to understand, no, nobody's immune to it. I mean, I've, I've, you know, walked through this stuff and I'm still, just like Paul said, Paul said he daily buffeted his flesh, Right? He says, otherwise, while I'm preaching the gospel to others, I'd be shipwrecked. Man, I've seen it over and over again. Pastor Brian, Pastor Kelly, we've seen it over and over again. Breaks our heart every time. I've seen it over people, I literally would have said, no way will that ever happen. I would have put my hand on the Bible and said, no way will that ever happen. Happened. Breaks your heart. Why? No one's immune. It's by the Spirit of God that we have victory. It's not through willpower. Good. It's through humility. It's through grace. He gives grace to the humble. Like I said, my intentions don't mean anything. But the, the vehicle that my intentions will run on is humility. And, and so just learning to, to, to be humble enough to say, you know what? I just need the grace of God. And I need to be humble every day. And I need to, I need to keep my eyes open every day, not in not in fear of the enemy, but just, just to be aware of his devices. And it's not, it's not a big deal. When he shows up, just take authority and move on. But, uh, but notice what happens here. In 1 Kings, uh, we talked about here Ahab, he wanted uh, Naboth's vineyard, and then he didn't get it. And so immediately, what did he do? In verse 4, it says that he went in, and he, was, he basically started pouting, right? He goes in, he stops eating, he... he faces you know gets in bed and he faces his his face against uh, away from everybody and just goes into his little corner and starts pouting (laughs) that is i tell you so childish but this is it's funny we were rachel and i we were going through old photos today uh, of, of her family and stuff and we saw a picture i don't remember who it was in the main picture and she goes oh there i am over there i'm pouting about something and she saw herself just leaning against, like, a doorway. And she goes, oh, yeah, I must have been pouting about something. <laughs> you know, and you can just see the look on her face. And, you know, and she's like a teenager, you know, and she's pouting about something, <laughs> you know. And, uh, but notice what happens here is here he is. His attitude actually opened up the door for the, for the temptation. His attitude. He, here he is. He's all sullen. He's all sulky. He's all pouty. And then Jezebel comes up and says, I'll, I'll do it for you. Don't worry about this. It was that attitude that opened up the door for that temptation. If he wouldn't have had that attitude, she would have never started talking to him. But his attitude of, "Well, I didn't get what I wanted," mm. you know, the big lip. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you know. But we get this little pouty attitude sometimes because now you understand. He he's sitting there, and I love. Uh, what, uh, notice what 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 her response was. I love this because, <laughs> oh my goodness, he told she plays him like a fiddle. Um, It says, uh, so verse 6, okay, verse 5, Jezebel's wife comes in, says to him, why is your spirit so sullen that you eat no food? Verse 6, so he said to her, uh, because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you, I will give another vineyard for you. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. Okay, now... (laughs) I, you see, his attitude, he is just so, I, I was doing the right thing, and he said no. And, uh, you know, <laughs> he didn't even bring up the fact that Naboth said, no, this is my father's inheritance, and it wouldn't be right for me to give you my inheritance. You know, he didn't bring that up, right? That wasn't the picture he's playing. He, he's just going, I was doing the right thing, and they totally shut me down. And so, uh, verse 7, though, I love what Jezebel says. Then Jezebel, his wife, says to him, you now exercise over authority over all Israel. Arise, eat food. Let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Napa the Jezreelite. So, in other words, she goes, "You deserve better than this." She starts playing on the justification card. You ever have your mind do that? Oh, you are so justified in having this. You're the king. <laughs> you should have this. You, you reign over everything. <laughs> you should totally have this. I don't. You know, there, there's no reason, no, no right, justly right reason for you not to have this. Let's just make this happen. And, uh, and it's just so bad because so many times as Christians, we are kings and priests on the earth, aren't we? And God wants us to reign as kings on the earth. But you understand, we don't reign as earthly kings, Reign, Jesus said, if you want to be the grace, you're the servant of all. But the problem is when we start getting the, the, the high mind, when we start getting this, this kingly justified attitude sometimes, you know, things start coming in and we start just demanding things and when things don't go our way, we're like, well, I'm a king. I should have whatever I want. Not the attitude God has. Now we'll get into the balance of this here in a minute, but I want you to understand this that, that this is just how lust, this is how lust enters in. He didn't intend for a man to die. It was never his intention, but that's what happened. I understand Now, Alexa, we, so many times I love you know, Pastor Brian says this uh, every now and then, and I'll probably misquote him, but it, he, how, he says like, you know, if you just let your flesh do what it wants to do, it'll take you farther than you'll ever want to go. And you'll spend more than you ever want to spend. It'll cost you more than you ever intended. It'll always demand more than you want to give. But it don't start there. It doesn't ever start there, right? And it, it starts with a, a, uh, a reasonable suggestion. It starts with something that sounds justified. And then it builds from there. And uh, now, notice, oh, turn over to Genesis chapter 3. And we see the same thing happen here with Eve in the fall. Genesis chapter 3 says, verse 1 Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Verse 4 Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Verse 6 so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and that it is in a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So here we see, uh, number one, of course, the, the, the enemy comes in, starts talking, and he starts uh, justifying, you know, why she should eat it, and he gets to the point in verse 5 that he basically says, God's holding out on you. Right? That, that, that's, that's the ultimate thing. First of all, God lied, and he's, you're not going to die. And secondly, God's holding out on you. And so you need, to get, you need to have this. This is a need that you have, and God's just trying to hold it from you. And then the very next thing, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and now, here as she begins to look at this tree now, she's now not looking at it through the filter of God's word. She's looking at it through her eyes. She's allowing her flesh to tell her that it's desirable. Instead of allowing the word to say what's desirable and not desirable, instead of allowing the word to say what's good or bad, she allows her eyes to tell her what's good or bad. Not, not safe. You understand this? This is where danger begins right now. When my eyes tell me what's good or bad, I'm wrong every time. My eyes aren't designed for that. The word of God tells me what's good and bad. The word of God is the discerner between thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is the one that actually shows me where life and death is, right? Not my eyes. But notice that she, now suddenly she has a new filter. She has a filter because she's, she's filtering it through her eyes now. And it says, it's, uh, she saw that it was a tree good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a, a tree desirable to what? Make one wise. Now, can a tree make you wise? No. Where do we get wisdom from? The Word, right? God. It says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and upbraids not, right? But now suddenly, what she does, though, is she begins to... Now, does God want you to be wise? Yes. Right? Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. With all I get, and get understanding. So wisdom is a good thing. So here, understand. I want you to see the process here, how justified she is in saying, actually, I think that can make me wise. God wants me to be wise. You see how justified sin can look? How justified lust can look? Because now you're like, oh, yeah, I need to be wise. And God wants me to be wise. But the problem is not whether or not he wants you to be wise. The problem is, are you getting it from him or from his creation? She displaced the creation. She displaced the creation, and now suddenly it's the supplier instead of the supply. You see that? She displaced it. And the moment she displaced the the, 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 the creation, and now suddenly it's the supply, Now now if it's the, now suddenly it's the supplier instead of the supply, now suddenly she's going to basically be, uh, how should I put it, she's going to displace herself when she bows to it. And so now she's no longer an authority over that thing. And that's a whole other thing. But anyway, but, but I just want you to see this. That when our eyes tell us what's good and bad, and then suddenly logic comes in and we start saying, but God wants me to have these things. He wants me to be blessed. He wants me to have all these things. He, you know, the Word says that He wants me to have all things that pertain to life and godliness. True. But what does the word say? It says, he gives me those things. He gives me those things. The world doesn't give me those things. He gives me those things. That's why it says, seek first the kingdom of God and what? His righteousness and then what? All these things will be added unto you. He adds these things to me. Right? But when I actually look for, when I look to to the creation to be the supplier instead of the supply, now suddenly it's all displaced. And this is, where, uh, this is all about lust, though. This is about when we actually turn a want into a need and we actually uh, uh, stop allowing him to be our supply and we allow something else to be uh, the, the one that's supplying our needs. And, uh, and this is all about, about just lust, and this is the, 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 the process of this. Turn over to Mark chapter 4. When we look to material things to do what only God can do, then it's all. Then it turns into lust. Mark chapter four. And this is one of the biggest problems, though, really in in. Uh the, the, the faith message, if you want to put it that way, is that a lot of times people will take the principles of faith, which are valid principles, and we see them in the Word of God, obviously, but they'll take them and they'll filter them through this, this lustful mentality, and now suddenly they, they, they'll turn it into this works-based thing. I remember when I was in Tulsa, just shortly after I moved there when I was 18, I was in prayer and the Lord, he just told me this. He said, so many times people are, he goes, this is how he put it, he goes, so many times people are in their word and in prayer trying to get my stuff without getting me. And he goes, I am not the avenue to my stuff. He goes, I'm the avenue to me. <laughs> you understand? He's the blessing. He's the blessing. Praise God. You know, but if I'm just getting to him to get his stuff, now suddenly I'm, I'm, I'm basically treating him like a prostitute. Anyway, but um, Mark chapter 4, though, uh, here it says, now this is the parable of the sower, and then I'm just going to skip over some of this stuff. And it says in verse. Uh, 18, talking about the thorny ground soil. Verse 18 says, Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the the," it says in the King James, the lusts of other things. Here it says desires of other things. Entering in, choke the word, and it becomes what? Unfruitful. Unfruitful. So now, here... Okay, now these are people... These are not wayside people. Now, you know, you... If you understand the parable of the sower, you know, he talks about the four different hearts. The wayside heart, the, the stony heart, thorny heart, and then the good ground. And he's not just talking about four different people in general. He's talking also about four stages of the same heart. That everybody will start off at one area and they'll, they'll grow. Okay? And so uh, the first time I heard the word, I was a wayside heart. And then, after a while, I received it. But I still took offense over some stuff. I was a I was stony ground. And then I began to grow. And then I became thorny ground. You understand? It's a process. It's just clearing ground, digging up rocks. You know what I'm talking about? If you you get new land, it has stuff on it, right? It's a process to make it into good ground that can actually be planted and harvested. And that's how it is with everybody's heart. Everybody's heart starts off as a wayside, and it goes through the four, the four cycles, if you want to put it that way. But here, this, he's talking about the thorny ground. These are not people who are wayside. These are not people who are stony. They've actually gone past those levels. So now they're receiving the word with gladness. They're not getting offended anymore. In fact, you can see this because it says that, that uh, when it says at the very end of it, that the desires of other things entering choke the word. It says, and it becomes unfruitful, which means it was fruitful at one time, right? So these are people producing fruit. They're producing fruit, and then it becomes unfruitful. So what what is it that makes them unfruitful? Well, it says right there that it's the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires or the lusts of other things. Enter in, and it it, it causes you to become unfruitful. And this is is what we've seen over and over again. People who have fruitful ministries, they have fruitful walks, they're actually walking it out, and then now suddenly, where are they now? Well, this is what happened. Other things entered in. You know, I was, I was in a, I was, this was a few years back, Rachel and I, we were in Kentucky, and uh, we were just visiting a church there, and um, never been there before, and we were just visiting, and we were listening to, to the pastor, and uh, he's, you know, he's doing his message, and the Lord had been talking to me about this verse here for the, about a week before, and uh, every day for about a week, and here's, this is exactly the same verse that the pastor teaches on that night. So, praise God. God's just good. And he starts talking about this verse. And he starts saying, now, I love how he put it because he, he's just making it real. He goes, okay, in our church, he goes, in our church, he goes, I love the fact that people are blessed and they're, they're functioning and they're doing what God has for them to do and they're doing it. He goes, but here's what I've seen over and over again is that, he goes, I've seen this happen a couple after couple in our church. They'll come up and they'll say, "You know what? God has prospered us, and we're gonna we're gonna go ahead and we've bought some land. And we're gonna build our own house." He goes, "Man, I love that. I love the fact you can build your own house. You need to build your own house if you can't. Glory to God." He goes, "But here's what happens." He goes, "I've seen it over and over again in our church." He goes, these are people who are totally involved. And they come up and they go, we're going to build our own house. So we might need to back off of some of our responsibilities in the church because we're going to have these things going. And so he goes, okay. So after a little while that happens, and they kind of back off them some. Then they come up and they go, well, we might not be able to make it to the midweek services because we have some deadlines we've got to meet, you know, on our house. And then they come up after a few months and they go, well, we've got inspections and we got this and we got that. So we're going to have to miss the next couple Sundays because we've got things going on. We've got to build our house. And uh, he says, then the next thing you know, you don't see them for months. next thing you know, they're not anywhere. And he said, he knew, I think he said three, it might have been two, but I think he said three. He goes, of all the couples he, I mean, he could name several couples. I mean, he wasn't using names, but he was using numbers. But he says, of all those couples that he was talking about, I think he said three, um, he said, they're not even married anymore. Now, the answer in the house wasn't the issue. It was this, is they allowed the cares of the world. They allowed the lusts of other things. They allowed the distractions to come in. They were fruitful, and now they're unfruitful. It doesn't happen all at once, does it? The devil doesn't come in with a pitchfork, right? He doesn't knock on your door and say, I'm the devil, let me in. He comes in, it looks like the promise of God. Comes in, looks like the blessing, right? He says, he'll come in like the angel of light. Start talking to you. Well, what are we going to do? Hold to the Word. That's what we do. We hold to the Word. Because what I see is not the judge of what's good or bad. It's the Word that's the judge. And I have to humble myself and say, okay, I need to change. I need to be corrected. And like I said, as I'm praying this out and I'm meditating this, there's just such a severity that just came over me. And the Lord just started talking about humility and about just just humbling myself to correction and saying, in the body of Christ, we have got to get a hold of this because it's running rampant in the body right now. And people are giving themselves over to this right here, where they're just they, they get so far in the body of Christ, they get so far in their walk with God, and they start becoming fruitful. And they see now. You understand in this season right here in the, in the thorny ground season, you actually start to see the abundance. You start to see the blessing of God. Otherwise, the, deceitful, the deceitfulness of riches wouldn't even be there. You wouldn't have the desires of other things. You wouldn't have the the all that stuff wouldn't even be there if you didn't even have that as an option. Does that make sense? This is where people are growing. This is where people are actually bearing fruit. This is where people are actually seeing the blessing of God. But then it gets perverted, and it gets corrupted, and now suddenly the world begins to define it, and now it becomes a covetous thing instead of a tool for the kingdom. And it's, it's you know, I, I just, you know what I'm saying? Now, God wants us to be blessed. Praise God. Uh, but at the same time, we don't use our authority for selfishness. That's what Ahab was, was sitting there doing. Using his authority for selfishness. We use our authority to love people. We use our authority to allow more of the kingdom of God to flood people's lives. It's always got to be focused on him. It's always got to be focused on loving people. It's always got to be focused on souls. It's always got to be that. If it's not that, then it's just me trying to be self-promoting and self-preserving and self-inflating you know, and everything else. And that's when it gets really messy. <laughs> you know, but we'll justify it the whole way. Well, God wants me blessed. Okay, he does. Praise God. In fact, you know, let's just, let's just get into that real little, little quickly. Um, Psalms 37. But I really believe, like I said, I believe as we speak this in tonight, I just appreciate you praying with me because as we speak this in, I just really think that there's something that needs to be broken in the body of Christ when it comes to this, this spirit of lust that has uh, really dictated a lot of things and, and has stopped the body from growing, and a lot of things are supposed to grow in, and that's the issue. We need to get the harvest in. And we don't have time for all this stuff. Psalms 37. And it says in verse 4. Psalms 37 verse 4. It says, uh, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you what? Desires of, desires of your heart. I mean, here it says that He wants me to have the desires of my heart. In, uh, we know in, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says that He gives us richly all things to enjoy, right? You know, God's not a stingy God, is He? He's not selfish in any way. He, doesn't, he, he wants the, the, the yoke to be easy and the burden to be light. He wants us to have all things that pertain to life and godliness. Romans chapter 8, verse 32, it says, He who spared not his only son, but delivered him up for us all, how he shall he not also freely with him give us all things? You know, he wants us to have a hundredfold. He wants us to walk in, in, you know, even in the Old Testament, he said, I want you to have abundance in everything. I mean, you look at Solomon's life, and Solomon, it says that the queen of Sheba came up and she passed out because his servants were so blessed. And she was blessed. You know, she was ve- very wealthy. But, but you understand, uh, the, the, the physical, material abundance is not the issue. God doesn't have a problem with that. He wants us to walk in the fullness of the blessing. But the question is, is that what, then, then where do we balance this between God giving me the desires of my heart and me watching whether or not I'm in lust or not? You know, we need to get clarity on that. We need to see what's the difference between you know, me actually going after what God has for me And then getting into lust and covetousness. Well, the issue is this, is that that lust is really a a counterfeit of godly desire. That's really what it is. It's a perversion of godly desire. Desire, it says that he would give me the desires of my heart, right? Desire, now let's think of the word desire. What does it mean? Well, the word desire, it it comes from two words, you know, the first being D-E-D, and then the the last word being sire, S-I-R-E. So what does the word sire mean? It means father, right? If a horse sires another horse, father is that horse, right? And the word de in in Latin just means of. That's what it means, right? And so it's just of the father. That's what desire means, is of the father. Desire, by definition, is not evil in any way. Desire, by definition, is something produced from the father in my heart. It's an actual passion that I have for him and his ways. And, and even the, the passion I have for abundances comes from him. He's an abundant God. He likes abundant things. If he didn't, he wouldn't create so many stars. Right? I mean, look what he did. Like, if I created stars, I would have made like a hundred of them. <laughs> you know? He created billions and billions and billions and billions. They've counted over two billion galaxies, which each have millions and millions of stars. Good. Uh. <laughs> you know? I mean, if I would have made birds, I would have made like five colors. You know? But he's, he's an abundant God. That's his nature. Genesis chapter 1, the beginning of the book, shows us the nature of God, and it's abundance. Abundance is not a problem. You understand? He's not afraid of abundance. He's not afraid of the blessing. He's not afraid of, you know, And said in Ephesians chapter 3, that he, is, he wants to give me exceedingly abundantly above all I can ask or think. That's what it says, right? He's not afraid of giving me more. He, he called himself El Shaddai, right? Remember what that means. The God of more than enough. Praise God. That's his name. He actually called himself that. He goes, I'm the God of more than enough. I like it, what, what I think, was, uh, I think it was Norval Hayes one time, he said this. He goes, if you have a problem with, with, with prosperity, you're going to have a real problem when you get to heaven. <laughs> Streets are paved to gold there. You know what I'm talking about. You know, it's like you know, the, the, the foundation of the city is precious stones, Where we use concrete, God uses precious stones. He doesn't have a problem with this. Okay, that's not the issue. The issue, though, is what's the difference in between the desires of my heart and the lust of other things. There has to be a difference here. And there's just a counterfeit of it is all. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. Amen. I believe we're doing something tonight. And glory to God. I just want to break this stuff. I don't, want, I don't want lust to have any rule or reign over me, and I don't want it over the, the body of Christ. I don't want it over my church. <laughs> praise God. Ephesians chapter 2. And here it says uh, in verse 1. Oh, man, I love this. It says, and you, what did he do? Made he made alive, praise God, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Praise God, are we alive? Yes, yes glory to God, we're alive. It says, in which you once walked... According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom, verse 3, also we all, how many? All. All. We all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of what? Our flesh, fulfilling the desires of what? The flesh and of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath just as others. So we see here, he says, that the desire, where where it comes from lust is there's a desire of the flesh and of the mind. That's when it comes into lust. God wants to give me the desires of my heart. There's a different different avenue here. Do you see this? God flows through my heart, but but the the lust of the flesh will come through my flesh and through my mind. And when things begin to get generated from my flesh and from my mind, it will actually turn into lust very quickly. But when things come through my heart, when I'm actually just walking in the things of God, walking in the ways of God, now my heart begins to rule me. And now suddenly as a child of God, I'm led by the Spirit of God, and those very things that I desire are coming from Him because it's of the Father. And even the very abundance that I'm actually believing Him for is just from Him. Because it's a tool for the gospel. It's a tool for the kingdom. And it's not just some selfish thing. But you see, they can, they can look very similar, uh, but there's a counterfeit. That's why, you know you understand, counterfeits look like the real thing, right? Good counterfeits look like the real thing, I mean, really close. <laughs> you know, It takes a trained eye to spot one from the other. And the devil's a good counterfeiter. And so this is why we have to have the Word of God. The Word says that it's a discerner, right? It's a discerner between the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It's a discerner between my mind and my heart. Only the Word can do that. Only the Word, it says, can actually divide the soul from the Spirit. Praise God. But, uh, but this is so key. When we, when we actually begin to, because I, like I said, we can walk this path out where at the beginning it looks like we're doing the things of God, but what we don't realize is we're actually walking right into the trap of the enemy and it will turn into lust. And it will turn into something that, that we're actually producing in our life rather than allowing God to add to it, to us. And it, it can look very similar, but I don't want you to get scared about that. I just want us to understand that there is, there is a difference between the lust of the flesh and of the mind and then the, the desires of my heart. God wants to give me the desires of my heart. Praise God. But I don't need to walk in this. It says that this is what we, or we all walked at one time, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature the children of wrath, just as others. But we're not like that anymore, are we? Praise God. Now, um, over there in James, turn over to James. James kind of addresses this whole thing. And uh, let's start in verse 1. James chapter 1. Excuse me. Verse, uh, actually, verse 14. James 1, verse 14. And he says, actually, let me go back. Just a couple of verses here. Verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own what? Desires or lusts and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin was full grown, what does it do? Brings forth death. So now, here, he, this, is, this is the process, isn't it? It says that when where temptation first comes in, it's interesting because it says we get tempted and drawn away by our own desires and enticed. In other words, everybody has... Uh, uh, different things that entice them. There's things that that growing up, I grew up, you know, in, in a household that was not, um, you know, all that uh, Brady Bunch like, and uh, <laughs> um, and it, uh, you know, and I, there was drugs all around and alcohol all around, and I mean, we grew marijuana in our backyard, you know, and uh, but none of that, the, the drugs and the alcohol, it never really enticed me. There was no enticement there for me. Um, I I just didn't went into it. You know, and now, uh, but you understand that there were other things that did entice me. And whereas other people, they have a real issue with drugs and alcohol, right? And they would never have the, the, the same issues that I have with other things. Because it says here that we're all drawn away, enticed by our own things. There's, there's, there's something that, 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 that actually is, is really unique to our, our just makeup that we'll be drawn away by. The, the enemy never comes, he's never tried to, to, to get me involved with certain things because it just wouldn't work. There's other things that would. There's other things I've got to watch. You understand? I mean, when I was a teenager, all the way from a teenager for several years, I was involved with pornography big time. That stuff had to break. It had to die. You know? I know some people never have a problem with that. But that was one of those things, that, those sexual perversions, those sexual sins, that was one of those things that was enticing to me. You know, the word says this in, in, in Timothy. It says, flee youthful lusts, it says. Now, it's interesting, when I was reading that one day, and the Lord said, notice it says youthful lust. In other words, the lusts that, you, that, that, that begin to get built in your life, they begin when you're a child. They're not adult lusts, they're youthful lusts. And they, they just, what, they hap- what happens is, they, they get built up, and what happens is, there they, they're, are they're things that you begin to look to for security and comfort and, and self-worth and these different things, and they feed an appetite that you have when you're a child. And they just begin to build. And you feed that, you feed it, you feed it. And when, like I say all the time, whatever you feed will grow. Whatever you starve will die. You can't, it's just the way it works. If you want something to die in your life, guess what you do? You starve it. Good or bad. If you, if you feed the ways of God in your life, that will grow. If you feed the ways of the enemy, that will grow too. If you starve the ways of God in your life, that will die. You gotta, whatever you feed will grow. Whatever you starve will die. You can't get past that. And so, here, you know, I, I reached a certain point after I got saved. I was still involved with pornography. <gasps> you know, I was. <laughs> and, uh, because you understand, those things don't just fall off. You know, they don't just do it because I don't want it to happen anymore. I would sit there and I would cry. Lord, I don't want to do that anymore. Blah, you know, and just with weeping and the whole thing and repentant. And then, you know, okay, never again, never again. You know what I'm talking about? You know, nah, drawing the line in the sand. Uh, You know the whole thing, and uh, then you know five days later. Oh God, but this time I really mean it. Oh, you know. (laughs) You know, but what do you have to do? Starve it. Feed something else. Whatever you feed will grow. Whatever you starve will die. And there's total freedom. There's total victory over these things. But you've got to understand that you're drawn away by your own lust and you're enticed. And this is how it works. But when you give into that, then it becomes, it says, when desire has conceived. In other words, it has to mix with something. You know, just like the Word of God has to mix with faith in our hearts, like it says in Hebrews, that we have to mix the Word of God with faith, desire has to mix with something. It has to be mixed with something in my heart. I have to actually believe it and sow into it, just like I do with the Word of God. I have to sow into it. If I don't sow into it, it's going to die. If it's not conceived, it will die. Okay? It actually comes in, and and just because I have a desire doesn't mean I sinned. It says that Jesus, he was tempted in every point, right? He was tempted in every point, yet without sin. So temptation is not sin, is it? No. And so we need to understand that, though. Just because temptation comes, I just need to realize I can't conceive that thing. I just don't need to have it conceived. I just need to abort that thing right then. Praise God. But anyway... But when it gives birth to sin, blah, 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 and then it says when it grows up, it brings forth death. Now, um, with that, turn over to, uh, uh, let's just kind of wrap some things up here. Galatians chapter 5. The one thing, though, that, uh, that, that lust is really tied to or is fueled by is the, the, the perception of need. Like I said, when you, when you actually think you need something, then you will go after it and you will make it happen. And so, one of the greatest ways that we can do to overcome uh, just that spirit of lust, that spirit of covetousness in our life, is to deal with that need situation. Now, over here in Galatians, in chapter 5, I love the Word of God so much. It says in verse 16, it says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and what does it say? You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You won't do it. If you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You can't do both at the same time, in other words. You can't do both at the same time. You can't be walking in the Spirit and fulfilling the lust of the flesh at the same time. If you walk in the Spirit, now what does it mean to walk? Well, this, this word walk actually simply means to have forward motion. It really just simply means to, um, uh, uh, to, to progress in. Or uh, I like one of, the, one of the translations of it was to be occupied with. In other words, what's your mind occupied with? Is your mind occupied with the Spirit? Is your mind occupied with the ways of the Spirit, with the things of God? You can't, you know, if, if I want to not go south, I just go north. Right? I can't go to both at the same time. So, in other words, I don't, I don't sit there and, and, and I don't even know which way south is here. But uh, if I don't face south and rebuke south all my life, I just come against you south. In the name of Jesus, you are of the devil. I, I don't wish my, I don't just, just go north. If you just go north... You don't have to think about south, right? (laughs) You don't have to even think about it. You can just keep going north. If you walk in the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's what the Word says, right? I didn't make that up. That's a spiritual law. And so, you know, God says that. Is it true or not true? It's true. So that tells me if I am currently fulfilling the lust of the flesh, what am I not currently doing? I'm currently not walking in the Spirit, right? (laughs) I just got to make it clear. Right? That every time I've sinned, I've known why I sinned. This is not rocket science to me. Oh, I don't know how that happened. It overtook me. It did not overtake me. Okay? I simply chose not to invest in the ways of the Lord. That's what happened. I stopped walking in the Spirit. Because if I walk in the Spirit, I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's just that simple. It really is. It's not, it's not, it's not some big heavy thing. It's just walk north and you won't go south. Uh, but anyway, uh, <laughs> but the, one of the things what we do with this is that we... In order to walk in the Spirit, what does it require? Well, Matthew chapter 26. Are we doing okay? Okay. I just think we can, just, we can totally... Now, the interesting thing is on, in that verse, in Galatians 5, walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It doesn't say, and the lust of the flesh will disappear. It didn't say that, did it? It just says you won't fulfill them. And that word fulfill means to bring to a completed end. You know, in other words, it doesn't say that the lust will just vanish. It just says you won't fulfill them. You won't allow them to come to their end. They won't have fruition in your life. They won't grow what they're actually wanting to grow in your life. But so many times what we think is that the lust will just go away. The word doesn't say the lust will go away. It just says you won't fulfill it. Is that okay? Can we understand that? So what happens, though, is so many times we think it's going to go away. And so when when the lust kind of pops its head up again, you know what I'm talking about? It just kind of pops up again. People get all condemned, like they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. All it did was pop up. That's all. And they're like, oh, I must not. No, come on, just take authority, move on. Not a big deal. It's It's just whatever it is, it's a lust. But you don't have to fulfill it. Just keep walking in the Spirit. You know, and, and, but like I said, he didn't say they are going to go away. He just said that they're not going to have a, 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 the power to be fulfilled in your life. You're going to be empowering your spirit rather than your flesh, praise God. But Matthew 26, and uh, here Jesus t- said this a couple different times, but he says, um, uh, da, 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 over here in verse 41, he says, verse 41, says, watch and pray, lest what? You enter into temptation. The spirit is what? Willing, but flesh is weak. He goes, so here's, Key number one, pray. Be in prayer. You 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 understand, prayer has everything to do with whether or not I enter into temptation or not, right? It has everything to do with how temptation is in my life. Prayer has everything to do with it. Because I need the grace of God. And I need to change my perspective. That's the thing that prayer does. Prayer changes my perspective of things. Prayer is me spending time communing and fellowshipping with my Father, the Most High God, and as I fellowship with Him, it's not just complaining, it's not just asking Him for things, it's fellowshipping with Him. It's actually actually being with him and exchanging my perspective for his perspective and so it's kind of like when we were watching the olympics you know the the the, the winter olympics this last year we're watching them and and uh it was funny because you know you ever watch the, the parade of nations as they walk in you know and they're, they're they're carrying their flag you know and they're walking in and we're watching them and we know right away man the u.s walks in different than everybody else they, you know how it is, you know, we have this arrogance about us, you know, and the world hates us, you know, but, uh, but they walk in with just this, this look on their face, like they just own the place, you know, and it's just, it's so funny, we're, we're watching it, we're like, oh, look at us, we're just ridiculous, you know, we just, we walk in with this this swagger about us, like we just, like everybody owes us, because we're America, you know, and, uh, and you understand, it's, it's, it's just funny, but we were watching, a, uh, we were watching uh, interviews with some of the, 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 the athletes, and they were, I think it was a guy from Denmark, you know, one of those uh, uh, long skate guys, you know, the guys who do the, the, the long speed skates, because, you know, Denmark just rules, you know. I mean, they, they own every competition when it comes to that stuff. And they were talking to the, one of their athletes, and they were just talking about, about just the games, also all sort of stuff, and about different countries and all that. And they said, well, what do you think about your different countries, competitors, whatever? And this guy made a great statement. And he said, he goes, you know, he goes, uh, the difference between us, he goes, all the nations think the same way except America. And he said, this is great, he goes, he goes, they all think the same way except the Americans. He goes, we all come in and we actually expect to win. We expect that we are good enough to win. We expect to win when we get here. He goes, but the Americans come in already knowing they're winners. He goes, we want to think that way, but we don't think that way. Understand, that's how we need to be. We are above only, not beneath. This is who we are. You understand? We are kings. That's who we are. We are not under sin. We are not contending with sin. We are not arm-wrestling sin. We are seated at His right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power. But I only get that perspective in prayer. It's in prayer that I get that perspective. It's in prayer that I exchange that mentality and I stop being a victim and I actually start being a victor over things. And now it's not some big arm wrestling match with lust and with sin and with all this other stuff. No, it's it's just me speaking in authority and dealing with it. And I won't enter into temptation. You understand? So my dealings with temptation has everything to do with my prayer life. That's what Jesus says here. Because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And if I'm trying to do it in the flesh, I'm going to be weak every time. But now. And of course, uh, uh, with that, turn over to Philippians chapter four. I know I'm probably going a little late, but it's okay. I am not going to apologize. <laughs> There's some things I need—I just believe needs to be spoken here, and uh, we're just going to do it. Praise God! I only got a couple more verses to go here, but praise God, we're, we're just. Uh. This is this is huge here. Um, when we actually begin to change our perspective, here's one thing that's going to happen. Philippians chapter four, and it's going to deal with that with with what fuels lust. Like I said, what fuels lust is that need perception. And it says in verse um, uh, verse ten, Philippians chapter four, verse ten. Paul's speaking. It says, "But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care for me has flourished again." Though, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Verse 11. Notice what he says here. Verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in what? Whatever state I am to be what? Content. I, now, so in other words, Paul didn't always know this, did he? He says, I learned this. I learned this. That in whatever state I'm in, to be content. Now, contentment. Now, of course, in First, 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 first Timothy chapter uh, uh, 6, I think it is. Yeah, chapter 6, it, it says... Uh, that godliness with contentment is great gain. But now here it says, though I know how to be abased, I know how to abound everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full, to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need, I can do what? All things through who? Christ who strengthens me. Praise God. Now, Now he's not talking about that place where you just allow life to beat you up and you're a doormat and just allowing the circumstance to do whatever. He's just saying, no matter what the circumstance does, I don't draw my strength from that. I draw my strength from Christ. So if the circumstance is up, I'm strong because of Christ. If the circumstance is down, I'm strong because of Christ. I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content because he never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I can walk in a position of strength no matter what's happening in my life, and I don't need the circumstance to change for me to walk in victory. I have Jesus, and I'm complete in him, according to Colossians chapter 2. This will deal with lust in your life because what lust says is I need that. I don't have that. I need it. I need it. I need it. But when I'm content in all things, I don't need anything because I'm complete in Christ. This is big. Like I said, God wants us to have all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given us all these things freely. But we need to deal with this issue of need. And we need to realize that my God will meet all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He, I am complete in him, according to Colossians chapter 2. And when I begin to actually see myself in a completeness... Now suddenly I'm not striving for all kinds of things and trying to make things happen. I can actually focus on seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. I can focus on all that. And then He can just add all these things to my life. But there's such a victory in these things. It, to wrap this up, turn over to... Um, I encourage you to, to read 1 Timothy chapter 6. I'm not going to go into all that. But there's a whole bunch on that in 1 Timothy 6. But in 2 Peter chapter 1, let's just wrap it up with this. When we start getting content, we stop pouting, praise God... We stop being King Ahab, pouting against the wall. And, and instead of the pouty attitude, the attitude that we should have, the attitude of those who have all their needs met by Christ, is a thankful heart. That's what should be coming out of our mouth all the time. It's just thankfulness. Thankfulness attaches my, my heart to, and my mind, and my perspective to the supply, and, and, and complaining attaches it to the need. I just need to always be attached to the supply. And I just am so aware of the supply because I'm always thankful. Praise God. But Second Peter chapter 1. And he says here in verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us what? All things, all things that pertain to what? Life. Life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. Now notice what it says next, because we all, obviously we all know that verse, verse 3, praise God. Verse 4, it says, By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these, through what? The promises. promises, That's the word of God. The promises, you may be partakers of what? The divine nature. Praise God. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world, what does it say? Through lust. We've escaped that corruption. Praise God. The lust will tie us to corruption every time. Corruption is the state of decay. Corruption is where we continue to go down and down and down. And we've seen that in, in the generations of this world, haven't we? Every generation goes down. But we don't do that. Praise God. We go from glory to glory and from strength to strength. We, praise God. We go from faith to faith. But we do that by actually doing what he tells us to do here. We actually come in and we get into the word of God. Like I say all the time, if, it, if, if a message doesn't come down to read and pray, it's wrong. I understand, everything comes down to read the Word and pray. That's what, it, that's what everything comes down to. Uh, you, you, you get in the Word of God, you get your mind transformed, and then you get in the presence of God, and you allow your heart to be transformed by His presence. And uh, anyway, but, uh, but here he says that by these pr- great precious promises, that through these I become a partaker of His divine nature. Does God have any need? No. no. Does He have any perception of need? No. So if I am partaker of His divine nature, I shouldn't either, Right. I mean, praise God. If I'm a partaker of His divine nature, I should think like God thinks. I should be like God. I should, and I'm not talking, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be God, but you know what I'm talking about. It's like we have the mind of Christ. Christ doesn't have any, any perception of need, and neither should I, because I have the mind of Christ. But it comes through me partaking of His divine uh, 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 great and exceedingly precious promises, partaking of his divine nature, and in doing so, I begin to know then that I have all things that pertain to life and godliness. And if I know that I have all things that pertain to life and godliness, then I can escape the corruption of the, of, that's in the world through lust. Because if I know I have all those things, then I, there's no, no possibility for lust in my life. Because I'm already complete, entire, wanting nothing. That's where we are. And that's who we are. Praise God. And everything else is a lie. And what I have to do is I have to allow my mind to be transformed and actually begin to drive out all that lust and and, and begin to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh simply by knowing who I am in the Spirit. Because in the Spirit, this is who I am. In the Spirit, I have all things. In the Spirit, I am a partaker of His divine nature. In the Spirit, I am seated with Him in heavenly places. That's who I am in the Spirit. And my Spirit knows that. The question is, my soul doesn't know it yet. And that's why, I get, that's why I'm in the Word. That's why I'm in prayer, is to renew my mind and to transform my soul in the presence of God. So, amen. Let's just pray, wrap it up right there. Hallelujah. Father, I worship you. Glory to God. You are so good. Father, you have given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, Lord God. And not only that, but you've given us the power to overcome covetousness and lust and all that, Lord God. This is nothing. Father God, compared to the grace of God. Because where sin abounds, grace is much more abound. And you said, Lord God, that we could impart grace to the hearer, Lord God. And so right now, once again, Father God, we access that grace. Father we humble ourselves to the grace of God. And we thank you that we can walk strong. We can walk whole. We can, Father God, walk complete in you, Lord God. That we can, Father God, do everything as a conduit of your strength in the earth. We can do everything as a conduit of your love in the earth. We can do everything as a conduit, Lord God, and allow people to see our lives, and allow them to see the goodness of God, and allow them to to reach out for repentance because of that. Because the goodness of God leads men to repentance, Father. I thank you that your goodness can flow through our lives like a river, Father God. That it wouldn't be heaping upon ourselves, but it would be flowing out of us. Flowing out of us, Lord God, your goodness, your abundance, your glory, your grace, Lord God, through through Father God, physical means, material means, Lord God, spiritual, emotional, mental, Father God, everything flowing like a river out of us, and loving the people around us, and I just thank you, Lord God, that you have caused us to escape the corruption that's in the world through lust, and it's by your spirit, and we give you the... Thanks for joining us today on Wisdom and Stuff. Don't forget to subscribe to get new updates and check out our podcast page on Podbean to find all our previous posts and full-length messages. We'll see you next time and have a blessed day.